This episode is sponsored by Code Chrysalis, Tokyo's number one coding bootcamp. See what a Code Chrysalis education can do for your future. Change your life and learn how to code. Welcome to Tokyo Speaks. Uh, this is a podcast about uh, where we highlight the international community here in Tokyo. Uh, there's a lot of awesome people doing awesome things here, and that's what this podcast is about. Hope everybody is well, and yeah, yeah. Let's move on with the show.、Uh, today's guest co-host.、Uh, so, for you guys that are new to the show, we started out、uh, about three years ago as a podcast. Um, under the name Raw Urban Mobile Podcast, and then after two years,、uh, my co-host left the show, and I started doing it by myself. And I decided to rebrand the podcast with the name Tokyo Speaks. And now I invite people on from the community to help me host the show. All right, so you'll hear different voices every episode. And、uh, yeah, so now let's introduce, or I'll, I'll let my guest host introduce herself. All right.、Um, thank you for having me as a guest co-host. My name is Uli.、Um, I'm a Senegalese、uh, foreigner who's been living in Japan for the past ten years, and、uh, I love the international community in Tokyo. It's one of my favorite things about Japan. So I'm really excited for this opportunity. Thank you, and I'm looking forward to asking questions and getting answers. Yeah,、um, where did we meet? We met at Jas Jaspora, right? I think we met at Startup Lady first, and、oh, then you came to Jaspora. You're right. Yes, I remember meeting you at Startup Lady. We were in the same activity group, and I forgot what the question was, but I liked your answer. <laughs> and, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but、okay. that's the first memory I have. Yeah, of meeting you. You're right. You. I did meet you at Startup Lady. Yes. <laughs> Shout out to Startup Lady. Yes. I've met、Shout、so many people、them. at Startup Lady events.、So. They're awesome. Yeah, tell us about Jasporta. All right, yeah. So I love the、um, I love community so much. I love community building so much. At some point, I wanted to bring together the African community, I guess, and their friends in Tokyo. So、um, about a, a little over a year ago, I、um, my colleague. And his brother and myself, we started a community called Jaspora, which is basically Jap Japan Diaspora that we put together in one. And、uh, we do, we did used to do monthly events where we pick a team and、uh, we get guest guest speakers, and、uh, people just come and exchange ideas and thoughts and、uh, um, get to know each other on a professional level in Tokyo because I felt like that's something that was missing. And、uh, by the end of the evening, it's just it just becomes a nice party for people. To meet, but yeah, it's been.、Um, I've really enjoyed seeing and showing what the African community in Japan can do when they get together.、Um, with with every with COVID, like everybody else, we've had to pause and rethink and try to see what's next and what we're gonna do moving forward. But I just like the idea that the the possibility is there and people are not aware that coming together is a good way to be in Tokyo to live in Tokyo. So I'm really happy about that. Yes,、yeah. uh, I mean it's COVID nineteen has been a challenge for everybody. Yes,、um, so、like. <laughs> yes, that's one thing I do miss、mm -hmm. is you know going to networking events. Absolutely,、um, Jasporta events,、yeah. startup lady events. Yeah,、uh, startup lady. They're doing a lot of things online. Online,、yeah. yes, yeah. And、uh, yeah, like you, I, I think the international community is one of the. Maybe my favorite thing about Tokyo, yeah, right?、Absolutely. So I did a podcast about it. <laughs> <laughs> so much, yeah. Yeah, and and thank you for featuring me. I was I was 
what event was that? Jasporta yes, number? Yes. Actually, it's funny. Before the whole Black Lives Matter thing explodes and even arrives to Japan, we did a, an event on being black in Tokyo and being um, like different black. You know, because it's black African, black American, mm. and black from uh, UK. Mm. So we did an event on that, and you were one of the speakers. And I think it was my favorite, not just because oh, I was like hosting, but <laughs> <laughs> I just enjoyed that evening so much. I learned from everybody's perspective, yeah. and uh, it gave me a lot of hope. It was it was a beautiful evening. Yes. So yeah, thank you for agreeing to speak with oh, us. Yes. Yeah, that was probably my first one, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so, you know, I wanted you to do this show with me because, yes. you know, you are um, a person who, yeah, who's out there in, in the community mm -hmm. and you're trying to have a social impact. Yes. And, and um, trying. <laughs> start discussions about the diaspora, the yes. African community, yeah. and how we can better, um, I guess, come together and, yes. and collaborate and do things. And yeah. Prosper. So, uh, yeah, so our featured guests. She knows a lot about social impact. Yes. Right? Exciting. <laughs> amazing woman, yes. actually. Really, really amazing. Uh, I've been learning a little bit about her online and actually took a seminar. Okay. One of her seminars recently, about a week, two, two weeks ago. Yeah. We're going to let her introduce herself. Yes. Hey, thank you for having me on Tokyo Speaks. Uh, my name is Angela Ortiz, and I'm a Colombian-American raised in Japan. I am a sibling, a daughter, a mother, a humanitarian activist, a teacher, and also a CSR professional. And more recently, I just published my first book, so I'm quite proud and happy to be able to say author as well. I've been in Tokyo about 14 years, and I live with my daughter uh, just near Shibuya, actually. Great. Glad to, glad to be here with you, Angela and uh, Uli. Uh, yes. Um, wow. So you grew up here in Japan, right? Yes. Okay. Um, but you are, like you said, Colombian-American. From my understanding, you moved from the U.S. to Japan at an early age. Yes. My parents met in Colombia in South America. My father's Colombian, and they moved back to the U.S. and had a few children. I'm number four. So we were in California at that time, and about two years, two, three years later, uh, they decided uh, to make a change, and we moved to Japan and moved around a little bit, and they eventually settled in North uh, of Japan, which is Aomori, very, very rural area. Uh, along the way, they had eight more children. So I'm one of 11 siblings, which is why I like define myself actually as a sibling. It's such a huge part of like my character and who I am. Number four, right? I'm number four. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I hope you don't call each other numbers, your siblings. No, no we actually don't. <laughs> okay. You yeah. would think that that would be more easier to, to understand, right, yeah. but no. <laughs> Do you have nicknames or whatever? No. Some of us do, but actually, no, most of us are just, you know, although it's really funny because my father used to like go through three or four different names before he'd get the right yes. names. <laughs> and we actually do that to each other. Like I'll mix up three of my sister's names before I actually yeah. go, you know, That's get the a right lot of one. name picking. Uh, I yeah. would get exhausted by number four, actually, yeah. and be like, 
<laughs> Call it whatever you want. I mean, you know, it's hard enough. Like, our, you know, yeah. like my aunts and uncles, they would have, you know, two or three kids and they yeah. would mi- mix up their names. Uh, John, uh, Keisha, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but to have 11 kids, yeah. you got to be amazing. messing up. Yeah. <laughs> A- Angela, I mean, not Angela. Uh, exactly, yeah. exactly. That's how it was. <laughs> David, Paula, Francesco. I mean, yeah. you know who I'm talking about. Come yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was definitely like it's it's a bit it's a clan, right? Yes. Yeah. And people always joke, "Oh, you have your own soccer team." <laughs> Basically. <laughs> and, yeah. So it was Two definitely uh, different yeah. than our neighbors. Yeah. yeah. Especially in Japan. Mm. I don't imagine there was a lot of families that looked like yours at all. Yeah. Around. A, yes. Very correct <laughs> assumption. Yes. There weren't. And then yeah. you said you were in Aomori. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I've only been there one time, but wow, that's far. It is. That's pretty um, far. Northernmost prefecture, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Beautiful country. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful country. Yeah. Okay. And so why did your parents move to Japan? Why Japan? Out of all places. You know, I, I've often asked them that as well. Like, mm. I remember a couple of times, like, why did you choose Japan? And they said that they wanted to experience Asia somewhere, and they were actually thinking of China. But this was, uh, l- I guess, mid-late 80s, right? And for whatever reason, there w- the opportunity in China fell through, and so they came to Japan. And my father especially fell in love with the countryside here. And so going out in nature, like we lived in Saitama for a while and yes. we used to go to the mountains in Gumma and just sort of, you know, explore a lot of road trips, camping. Oh, so when we moved to Aomori, uh, my dad was like, okay, this is, <laughs> this is it. They're now like, they're 60, my dad's almost 70. Wow. And my mom's in her mid 60s, but they go motorbike like on tours. Really? Um, so they're obviously really adventurous people yeah. and kind of yeah. badass. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> sounds badass. That, it definitely sounds, yeah. And got a whole clan with them. You know? yes. <laughs> yeah. Family reunions are the yeah. best. Wow. Like, yeah, it's I bet it's they just are. awesome. And now we have, you know, grandkids and cousins. Oh, and so. it must be festive. It's and really just cool. Jovial, I mean, there's yeah. a lot of drama sometimes, <laughs> clearly. You know, so many different personality types. Yeah. But there's just like also a bond. And I think because as you mentioned, there yeah. weren't a lot of those types of communities yes. around. Uh, we became quite like knit, tight knit yeah. as a, as a, I guess, as a, you know, almost like friends. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, you know, so you moved here at an early age and I imagine you probably don't remember that much. Um, do you ever like talk to your parents about what it was? I mean, what it was like back then when they first got here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, we're always telling stories. So one of my favorite stories when we first moved here was my father went out to buy food at the local supermarket, came back and was like, honey, you can't believe they have super cheap peanut butter here. And they put some bread out. It turned out to be miso. Ah. He bought miso thinking it was peanut butter. <laughs> I, I don't remember that, but it feels yeah. like a memory because of the, you know, the, yeah. the story oh, time. Oh, man. The, the disappointment. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's totally different taste. Yes, completely. <laughs> it's worse than like telling your kids Vegemite is chocolate. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> yeah, but um, oh. and and from my understanding, you were homeschooled. Yes, yes, I was. Um, I had like international education kind of because obviously the homeschooling textbooks, etc., all came from the U.S. Uh, but for the most part, it was in just you know a couple of us because like we're really close in age. So my siblings, so especially the older ones, like we were all just studied at home. Mom was an educator, so that's what we did. Um, She was our teacher. Okay. 
Yeah, because, you know, uh, when I was learning about you online, I was like, wow, homeschooled. And so, like, what was the reason for that? It was just... Well, I think in the beginning, it was not being familiar with how to integrate into the Japanese society necessarily. And also, they wanted, I guess, an English or international education for us. So that seemed like the the easier choice. Um when we moved to Aomori, after a while, they decided to send the kids to public school. So in Aomori, it's like it's kind of half and half the family. And then a big overlap, because even if you're going to Japanese school, you come home and you have to study English. Yeah. So in a way, like you're all homeschooled. Um, but the younger, my younger siblings, they speak better Japanese than I do. Because, <laughs> you know, they went to the public elementary and middle school and even high school. So um, yeah, I was that, always yeah. a little bit jealous that I like missed that by, yeah. by a couple years. Yeah. That was my next question, because I mean, but you're still pretty fluent, though, right? I mean, I'm all right. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I can live here completely, totally fine. I sometimes <laughs> struggle with like business presentations, or if okay. I have to lead a meeting in Japanese, or especially if it's like a like a like maybe like a political or a socially oh, yeah. like um, like com- conflicting subject, and mm-hmm. I can't really express everything as articulately as I would like. Yeah, yeah. Um, then I definitely feel the. You're pretty good at Japanese, right? No? I am, yes. But yeah, it's pretty, and I, I think it's the same also, like um, living here, I never go a day with like wondering, I have friends who kind of have to think about whether they're going to be able to express themselves or not for very simple things, like going to the hospital, and I never have to think about that, but make it business and like especially political, and, and I start like a little bit yeah. wanting to not be part of it, <laughs> but yeah, pretty. But still, like homeschooling is is a is a like ten thousand jobs in one. I feel like it's just such a um, not hard task, but it's definitely a challenge to take on. And uh, this just says a lot more about her mom and how she was just like, I can do everything I want to. It's like <laughs> it's amazing to me. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm guessing you, you learned how to cook and. Oh, yes. You were, you know, yes. So we had, you know, we had a lot of chores to do in the house. So mm-hmm. basically we had this chart and when you turned to eight, you were put on the chart. And oh, really? You, and you had mm. like a weekly chore. So that that week, my job would be to cook breakfast, for example, or to walk the dog or to, you know, help with the dinner cleanup or take care of my younger sibling because there was always a younger yes. sibling <laughs> who needed support. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we we kind of worked like a little team, like a tiny little ecosystem. Yeah. Right? Wow. And at what point did you start to like really interact with Japanese and like have friends and so when we moved to Aomori and my younger siblings started going into elementary and middle school and they started bringing their friends around and also my parents had an English language school. So some of their middle school kids, like I would teach them as like my arubaito or my part-time job and we became friends and then I used to go, you know, like hang out and play basketball at the park or football. Um, so through through those sort of like n- local neighborhood activities, we, you know, I think like Aomori was the place where we really sort of integrated into the Japanese community and, you know, had friends and and we went to the local festivals and it's year on year and you really build like a sense of community there and a space of belonging whereas before we were kind of moving around every couple years and so it kind of it kind of did feel like you're really an outsider yeah Mm. but then because I had so many siblings I didn't feel necessarily like like we were always there was always 
a bunch of us, a group yeah. of us, you know, <laughs> doing something. Yeah. Um, and I have a lot of brothers, right? So we're always like, you know, climbing trees and building <laughs> forts and, you know, finding duck eggs by a river and trying to hatch them. And so the great thing about, I think, homeschooling is that it's very self-directed and results-oriented. So you can study as fast as you need to at your own pace and then you're done, right? Mm -hmm. So I finished high school at 17 and was able to do traveling. Um, whereas a lot of time the classroom, it's really about classroom management. So you're not really going according to the child's level yes. of need. Mm -hmm. However, you know, there's lots of extracurriculars that you miss out on when yeah. you're being homeschooled. <laughs> and especially when I was older, like um, high school, it was so boring. Like I was so lonely. <laughs> I felt like I was so lonely. Oh. And we had just moved to Aomori. And so like all my friends were still in Tokyo. And I just, I really felt this like acutely, like mm. really lonely and sad. And I was just like, dad, why did you do this to me? <laughs> <laughs> Probably just adolescent angst, right? Yeah. Uh, but the lucky thing was the Aomori Public Library was the largest library I've ever seen in Japan. And they had a massive English section. Yeah, I need to take a trip. So, <laughs> so I, I remember I used to just ride my bike there, yeah. check out books, go home, read them. Like every week I was reading four books. So now in hindsight, I kind of feel quite grateful for that yes. time because... It allowed me to really develop a love of reading, which is something that's so powerful to have in your life, and also to have such diverse. Like I was reading Shakespeare and Jane Austen mm -hmm. and like these classical literatures that I probably would not have had at a Japanese oh, yeah, school yeah. library. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's definitely pros and cons. It's not for everyone, mm -hmm. but that was my experience. You said you finished high school at seventeen. At that time. What were you like aspiring to do? Like, did you so then have dreams? I really, yeah, I was quite adventurous, right? And I always loved the stories of women who traveled or did crazy things, even like you know, throughout history. These kind of characters always spoke to me. So I was, I wanted to travel. So I took some time and I went to India and I traveled around India a bit. Um, and that really had a profound impact on my life later. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other thing I would say that maybe is a, for me specifically like a con of homeschooling was that because it was so different at that time especially, I, I kind of had a lack of confidence in my education. So I felt a bit insecure about, and then also my language skills weren't as developed as they might have been, like Japanese language skills. So that had a bit of a negative impact on me, um, which you can totally erase that nowadays, you know, just by thinking about it and explaining that to your children. But that was something I came away with that I had to kind of overcome later. Mm. Uh, did you have any plans of, I'm going to go to this university, I'm going to study this major, I'm going to become this profession? No, not no. at that time. I was okay. just kind of like, I'm leaving country. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and this is before internet, right? Like, I, yeah. didn't, I, wasn't, I didn't know yeah. really what was out there much. I remember the first chat rooms, yeah. the first time, you know, I could uh, chat with my friends again. <laughs> So I really just wanted to get out of okay. Aomori. I was like, I need to go mm -hmm. somewhere, do something, see yes. something. And when I was 15, we did take a trip. We went back to the States and to Colombia. And that was also like okay. wonderful. It felt like a breath of fresh air to connect mm -hmm. with that side of my culture, especially the Colombian side. Yeah. Because you, I mean, you get a little bit of American influence in Japan. Mm -hmm. But zero in Latin. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Latin. Zero Latin. There's yeah. no Latin culture really here. At that time, as a child, I didn't connect with that. So at that point, I was just like, what is the world? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then from my understanding, you had a big surprise. Yes. <laughs> at 19. <laughs> at 19. So I didn't, I was just about to like rethink. So I came back to Japan, you know, I got together with my high school sweetheart kind of thing and was like hanging out in Tokyo, doing odd jobs. And then I was like, mm, I think maybe I don't not I don't think this is for me. I need to start thinking. And then literally that month I found out I was pregnant. 
Wow. And I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do now? And it was it was a really tough time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and a little bit traumatic because I felt like I didn't have a choice. And now this whole life that I had not even started to think about was t- suddenly changed. Um, but then, you know, the kid came along and it's been amazing. I mean, best thing that ever happened to me, hands down, <laughs> because of the things it pushed me to do and the person I became alongside her. So it's amazing. And I'm so grateful that I have this hindsight. Yes. <laughs> but it, it was really difficult to navigate. And then also choosing to become a single parent as opposed to just staying with my partner at the time when I also realized, you know, we have very different perspectives on life. We want different things. Mm-hmm. But I come from, you know, my parents are still married and we have this amazing family. And I was like, I can't give her the proper family yeah. if I do this. Yeah. But then I thought, well, the alternative is to show her as a role model, which I will be just by because I'm her mother, a woman who chooses like her personal unhappiness just to take. I was like, I don't know that's the right message to be sending. And I already knew I was having a girl. So I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I also read, though, that divorce or separation around the age of three is quite difficult for children because they're going through emotionally and their brain is developing. Right. So that's right where they start to first develop feelings of Uh, attachment, ownership, and jealousy towards their parents. So oftentimes, even if it's not their fault, it's usually never their fault, but they will come away with those feelings. So I made the decision to do it like right away. So like we were, yeah, we were engaged for about a year and then I was like, okay, no, we have to split up. So at this time you were, were you in Tokyo area? Yes, I was living in Tokyo. And then, so I moved back to my parents' place for a bit in Aomori and studied a bit more. Um, I got a job working as a wedding coordinator. I wanted to be a wedding coordinator. (laughs) I love events and parties and bringing people yes. together oh. and like there's this joy and happiness it's that comes and ever. it was also I think something I got from my parents because mm-hmm. they would always throw really cool like Christmas parties were always really fun and when they had the school they would throw like spring parties Halloween parties and it was always multicultural like we did potluck and it was always like from different countries Yes, mm. um, and that was always really joyful. And I would bring my Japanese friends and they would tell me, like, it's amazing. The funky, like the ambience yeah. is like going to another country. And, <laughs> and I got a lot of joy out of seeing them, like those little, like them opening their eyes yes. and becoming more like aware of the good side of internationalism. You know, yes. not the fear of like, oh, America's scary <laughs> or... or uh, but but like the fun side, and that I feel like starts with food. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Everything food. starts with everything food. Starts with A little food. bit of music, and you get everybody yeah. forgetting that they were different like cultures or anything. It's just you become all human again, and we. It's like a show and tell, right? Yes. It's like exactly. show me your food. I'll teach you my dance. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so the yeah. And later, yeah. it's interesting though that that impacted my approach to social impact mm. in a really big way. Um, before we move on, I, I wanted to go back and. So obviously, you know, you grew up here and you're a Colombian American. Um, did you struggle with your identity at any point? Um, were you uh, treated differently because you were not Japanese? Definitely treated differently. Like I remember when I was a younger child living near Tokyo, people would stop and point and stare and say, Gaijinda. I didn't think of it negatively though. I just thought that's what they do. And they also would ask, like, can I touch your hair? Because our hair is different texture and different colors. And my you know, sibling has blonde hair and stuff. Or pat your head. And, and, and I just was like, it was kind of like being like a little show dog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It didn't bother me personally. I think that was my character or the fact that, you know, there was like three or four of us going, 
strange local people (laughs) what's wrong with them but one of my younger siblings later it was difficult for her I remember my mom used to have to tell people like just don't yeah no don't Uh, but they don't you know it wasn't aggressive it was just kind of like it's a bit passive aggressive where they say that's not how we do things or they don't appreciate some of the like making mistakes or being a bit like out all over the place yes. or maybe the kind of like the vivacious mm-hmm. ability to be okay with just making mistakes that I definitely got from my Latin side. Um, so I could feel a bit like, oh, okay, that's not appreciated here. And um, But I, I didn't experience a lot of aggression, but I wasn't in the public school system. That's true. Yeah. Too, yeah. So I didn't get like people making fun of me from the color of my bag or mm-hmm. having a hand-me-down, which some of my siblings definitely experienced mm-hmm. in public school. Yeah, I definitely um, relate to that part about making mistakes, which we take as being adventurous and, you know, exploring. And it's like, take it all to them. It's yes. like, you know, being careful enough. It's like, no, I just felt like, you know, if I tried and it didn't work out as well, I would learn what didn't work out and correct it. But they didn't want you to plan it all in advance and make sure every step is going to be the right way. And it's a, it's, it takes a a bit of understanding because you see them as over perfectionists and they see you as not perfectionist enough. It's like okay, I could not have put it better myself. That's yeah. exactly. <laughs> definitely exactly understand it. that part. Yeah, but when it comes to the identity, this is what's really interesting because I felt like I had a connection to all three, mm-hmm. but I was not owned by any of them. Mm. So I could pick and choose which aspects of the culture I felt were aligned with me. Mm-hmm. Like even as I'm growing up. And build my culture on that. And I think it's when you're multicultural, we kind of tend to focus on the I don't belong anywhere. And that's true. And it's something you have to overcome. But if you rephrase that as like, I belong everywhere and anywhere. So I and and then the opposite is that you get those three cultures to pick and choose from. Like Mm -hmm. they're educating you and then you can sort of merge them into. (laughs) I um, sometimes say I have the Uli culture. (laughs) 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 It's the Uli culture and that's what I'm going to pass on. It's a little bit of the best of everything that I've experienced. And Mm -hmm. then it's never going to fit into just one, but it it will go along with everything. So Mm -hmm. it's the best way, I think, to approach being multicultural. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. amazing. Cool. All right, so uh, you know, let's uh, talk about your journey um, into social impact and how did that get started? So the real like impetus for social impact was, so I was originally, I trained to be a teacher okay. and was working in Tokyo with my daughter and that was a very practical choice because I really wanted you know, her to have this education and it also paid enough for me to make a living. And then the 311 tsunami uh, earthquake and um, the whole nuclear meltdown and it happened and you know that was that's Tohoku right that so my father was a first responder just by chance as a driver for some journalists and then he called us from a town called Minami Sandiku and said I just spoke to some survivors and they need hand creams they need underwear they need lotion they need diapers really simple things And my sister was just by chance visiting Japan at the time. And so she said, hey, we're thinking of putting together some items. Do you want to come and help? And I said, for sure. Uh, You know, Tokyo was shut down like in a way I've never seen it. It was scary. Um, You know, people thought that the economy could crash because of the nuclear meltdown. And so like shops were shutting down in Shibuya at like 5 p.m. It was dark. Like there was just an era, like an aura of depression and so I flew to Aomori straight away. Like, I think I flew on the 16th. So it happened on the 11th. My father moved on the 14th. I was there on the 16th. And on the 19th, 
we had three trucks full of supplies and donations were already coming in from Facebook and we just drove down there and dropped them off. And then along that journey, I discovered that one of my old colleagues, when I was back in Almaty living with my parents after I you know, had my daughter, um, he was in that town. Wow. What are the chances, right? And yeah. so I was given a package to deliver to him, letters from his grandmother and local newspapers. And I hadn't seen this guy in six years and had no idea, even you know, vague, vaguely remembered him. But I remember getting in the truck and looking down, seeing his name, and then suddenly having a picture. I was like, oh yeah, I remember this guy very clearly. Yeah. So he went to Minami Sandiku, we dropped off these supplies, and then we decided to try and find him. We found him. He was working at a hotel, they had space, <sighs> we had more money coming in. And then it just like snowballed into this relief effort. Wow. And that's what, that was like the catalyst for Yeah, I was involved in that as sort of like the project leader on our second trip. And I just remember like there were all these problems happening and, you know, there's no electricity. The town is smashed, like Mm -hmm. destroyed. And I felt a bit like I had this moment where like things stopped and it was some problem that had happened. And I remember like I looked around and I was like, (laughs) I'm really good at this. Like I'm so calm. Mm -hmm. I was in this like Zen space and I just got on the phone, sorted everything out. Boom. And, you know, like, so the trucks were coming back. Everything's arriving on time now. And I was just like, wow, what was that feeling? Yeah. That was cool. Like, I want, (laughs) what is this? So it was, of course, I was almost in a way emotionally traumatized by what I saw and the stories I heard. It was horrific. You know, like like a apocalyptic movie, but but what was also just as driving was this. I was so interested in how I performed, and mm. that like I was like, I'm really good at this. Can I do better? Like, what what is this industry? I had no idea what nonprofit yeah. was. <laughs> I didn't know anything about humanitarian aid, yeah. and so I just kind of jumped into it and. Then I used Google a lot. (laughs) As we all do. Yeah. (laughs) And then along the way, I just so lucky to meet some amazing leaders in this field and to be able to partner with them and learn from them. And, you know, since I was sort of a self-learner, had a lot of training with that. Mm -hmm. Um, I just kind of picked that up. And then it was just like book after book. And, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, I'm interested in the name. Where did the name come from? Place to Grow? Yeah. So the, we rebranded it in okay. 2015 yeah. after we went through like the emergency phase. Mm-hmm. We, we did the first responders. And then we supported with economic development. Mm-hmm. And because my background's in education, obviously I became quite aware of and could see mm-hmm. solutions for the children and the families there. And I could also see how people were becoming really disconnected. Yes. Um, so we wanted to bring them together and focus really on the community building aspect. Okay. And that's where uh, the name came from. Okay. So Place to Grow is a, is it an NGO? It's a nonprofit. Nonprofit. Yes. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. And, uh, yeah. So we focus on community building through workshops and language exchange and fitness. Wow. Yeah. I, f- I find that interesting that, you know, you, uh, it was like a real, like a catastrophic event that, mm-hmm kind of got you into this social mm. impact stuff and it's like usually people i mean i don't know maybe they might have something that influences them to go in in this direction but mm-hmm. to, to have an event like this yes. like an you know it's ca- kind of being dropped disaster. into it you know just yeah it's, it's, did you start it as a family 
um, organization or did you from the get-go associate yourself with people who are not members of your family? Actually, it was very much a family affair. Mm, yes, okay. because, you know, my dad, my brother. And so my younger brother was living in Sendai and he evacuated oh, him yeah. and his wife and his like three-year-old daughter. Yeah. So he had he had been like in the thick of it, like mm. really traumatic um, times. Yeah. And we were all up there and, you know, it was like... I think like eight of us were Ortizes and then we had two or three Japanese <laughs> <Yeah>. friends who <laughs> joined us from the beginning. Yes. <clears throat> and the original organization was called Ortiz Global Academy for ah, Aid. So okay. OGA for Aid. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> oh, yes. I've, I've kept seeing the OGA. I kept saying, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Every, everyone does that. <laughs> okay, uh, that makes sense But I now. rebranded it because I also wanted it to potentially live beyond myself. Mm-hmm. Like if there's a real need, as you know, we were talking earlier yeah. about community needs and social needs. Um, then I think a platform that is not branded with your family name is a little (laughs) bit more easy for people to come on board and take ownership of and then grow it from there. Because ultimately, in social impact, you know, it's a living uh, being, right? It's not a static company. You're constantly evolving according to what people need. So that was... That's an interesting point because that's actually, that was actually my mindset when I rebranded to Tokyo Speaks. I... I wanted it to reflect the community and not me, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I try my best not to make it about me <laughs> and put my face everywhere. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. And at what point did you become familiar with uh, start? Uh, I'm about to say startup lady with few. Yeah. So that's a really good question because. As I mentioned, I start this organization. It's intense. I'm doing really good. I'm feel. I'm kicking ass, right? Yeah. And then. I go back to Tokyo. I have to take care of my kid, right? She's only eight at this time. And luckily, my sister was around. And I go back up there. And at one point, I just go like, you know what? I don't know who to ask all these questions to. And if I talk to like my siblings, as much as they're wonderful people, they're scared for me. And they're kind of worried that I'm making a huge decision to quit my job and start nonprofit. Yeah. How irresponsible is that? Yeah. Right? What's a nonprofit? Um, <clears throat> Why are you? And I just realized, I was like, I need to find new people. I just remember mm. that thought. I need to find different people to talk to. And I don't remember exactly how, but I came across this woman who introduced me to the four empowering women. And I went to one of their meetings and I was just, I just knew, yes, okay, I need to be surrounded by people who are striving. They're not necessarily got it all perfect. Mm-hmm. They're fine with failing forward, but they are supportive. Mm. They're not second guessing why I'm doing it, but they are just giving advice on how connecting me to ideas and people. And so at their meetings, I met a, a gentleman who teaches marketing. I love marketing um, uh, sessions. He used to teach them here in Shibuya. So I signed up for those and started to learn about, yeah, how do you sell you know your product or service? It's the same concept as an yes. NGO. And then I started learning the business side of things. And then that was really interesting for me as well. So I that also drew me to continue carrying on because you know uh, some of these years were really tough. Like you're not making much money. I'm traveling back and forth. I'm exhausted. I'm working you know long hours. And then when we were doing economic enhancement, it was farm work who are chopping down trees and it was physically and mentally like taxing Mm. wow um so i believe that like if there hadn't been that like i'm learning about business and sort of like this feedback loop where i felt like i was really developing Mm. i don't know that i could have continued with that it's funny you mentioned that because i did take a note you know i was reading the book and you did mention that you need to learn all these aspects and i knew that and but i get stopped or scared i think everybody gets scared at where do i start 
And mm. my question was going to be, do you start with what's interesting for you so that you can keep engaged and passionate about the cause? Or do you start with what's necessary to know? Like you don't like accounting, but you need to know how to file the taxes for this business. And where do you start? Like which one do you go for first? Well, it depends on what your personal vision is, right? Mm -hmm. So in my case, I knew that uh, not only was I interested in the social impact business side of things, but yes. definitely the impact of growth. It was progress. Like, mm -hmm. I loved seeing progress. So like when we would do an event, and for example, we had a volunteer from Korea and this old bacha and this old grandmother tastes topogi for the first yeah. time. Ooh. You know, like these moments of awareness, yeah. mm -hmm. that really just lit, lit me up, right? Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So I knew that like the program development was what I was interested in, but yeah. all those other aspects have to be done, right? Yes. But that's where you can kind of find your 80-20. Like what am I oh, actually... Yeah. Really good at, mm -hmm. and what actually I should probably have somebody else do. All mm -hmm. right, yes. and so then then you know what kind of people to surround yourself with. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, totally makes sense. So you'll do the editing for me when I start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, and how and how like beautiful was it that few existed? Yeah, you know, um, for empowering women, right? That's the amazing thing. platform. Yeah. Just yesterday, I was hanging out with some ladies on a yoga retreat, and mm. we were like, "Oh, when did we first meet?" And it was few, and yeah. we were like, "We have so much to be grateful for." <laughs> for few, yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I, if any young ladies is listening, I know they have a scholarship because I went to the finals for that um, when I was doing my master's degree, and I chose a different one. But I was like, kind of, uh, I had the final interview round with them, and the interview was like so much fun. It was like it wasn't even about the scholarship anymore. <laughs> it was the three of them interviewing me, and I had the best time. And uh, so, if any young ladies looking at education in um, Tokyo, I think they should look into that group as well. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. fantastic yes. resource to have. Mm. All right, and then so you got your you got your marketing down pack, and then you just shot forward. <laughs> I wish. I wish. <laughs> you know that. I'm sure it was that, ups and downs. That cartoon where it's yeah. like everyone thinks success is like the straight arrow, <laughs> but actually it's like. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. So it was definitely. Zzz. But you know, we had moments of clear growth, and I was definitely you know growing as a person, and my knowledge of leadership was growing. But the finances were dwindling for mm -hmm. the organization, and also you know times change, right? Uh, process change. The impact it had on social impact as an industry as it were in Japan was changing companies donation ways were changing so I started to really struggle and to the point where like I was dodging my landlord's calls <laughs> and you know not paying my hoken and yeah. it was really really stressful but I knew there was something about me that I was just like I know I did not work this hard to study this field to just return to I mean as much as I loved being an you know an educator I just I was like that's not what's going to happen I don't think so and so I was like, you know what? I'm going to start my own nonprofit consulting business. That will cover my... my. Right. So I, I spent months planning. Um, and I actually did some like one-on-one. -on -one. I took students there and I created like a course for becoming social impact mm -hmm. entrepreneurs. And, um, and then November comes around. I go out for dinner with a friend. She's a recruiter. And then she's like, you know, H&M Japan is looking for a CSR manager. Are you interested? Mm. Wow. And mm. I was perfectly ready because of that year's re the research I had done the training I had done it was a level beyond what nonprofit work was but mm -hmm. it was exactly what I needed 
to start in a career as a CSR manager for a corporation. Yeah. Now explain what CSR oh, is. For corporate who social don't know. responsibility. Okay. Uh, it's basically the environmental and social impact of a company that now becomes like uh, something that you actually want to manage. You want to be more intentional about. So then these people exist now in the market to have those conversations, lead those projects. And educate yes. everyone. Yeah, I, uh, I actually, I'm just remembering this now. It's crazy because I worked at H and M for three years or some for as a part time in Japan. Yes. Okay. And one of my favorite part of working in H and M was the recycling part in that, the coupon. I set that up. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I oh really? Oh my you. gosh! Yes. I was, I was gonna ask, oh her, are you the woman behind this? Yes. And yeah. I, I was a total <clears throat> all around H and M fan because they were the first brand that introduced me to this concept of taking your old clothes in exchange for coupons, and you get. And then they had the brochures and they have a whole program about sustainability. They was the first place that helped me understand CSR, actually. And now I'm just like... And you started She's it. the woman. Well, they She's launched the... it and then they hired me to like actually develop it. So yes. I helped them start. So I, I named it the Recyclers. I went to yes. every store, yeah. trained the managers, explained to them the concept of waste and take back and... Yeah, it was a really great time. It was nice to see people come in with bags of old clothes and knowing that they're going to be recycled. Yeah. And they loved that coupon because, you know, you're going to get the discount on your clothes. It's um, it's amazing. Like, it's <laughs> so really, funny. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Which yes. store were you at? Oh, I worked in Kobe first. I was at the oh. Kobe opening store, Umie, and then I had to move. When I moved in Guma, I was so sad <laughs> because there was no H&M in yeah. Guma and I worked for a different apparel. And then I came back to Tokyo, so I went to the um, Kashiwa one. One, not uh -huh. Kashiwa, the one in uh, Chiba, I think, the port. And then I went to the Shinjuku one as well because every time I moved, my first thing never met. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, yes, yeah. so HM, oh gosh, CSR. It's, uh, it's, I'm, I'm, they're one of the you know, they're one of the the leading companies for yes, sure. They are. I mean, a lot of the big brands, you know, it's not a it's not a like a side thing anymore. Like they have to have that because it's so crucial to business these mm -hmm. days. Um, not even for like the the positive aspects of it. It's just yeah. it's a real fundamental now. So it's been really exciting for me to now grow and learn all about what does this mean? What does social impact mean from a business perspective? Mm -hmm. And there's so many challenges, you know, so many misconceptions across the board everywhere. But mm -hmm. just being part of that dialogue, part of that narrative, and hopefully being able to clarify it is kind of something that drives me now. It's not kind of. It is something, <laughs> a big part of what drives me now in my sort of professional career and also with what I want to give back to people and try to help educate like the next generation of social impact leaders. Wow. Amazing. I am, I, I'm just like... I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually glad I, I asked you to join. Yes. Well, I, a bit, I was glad, but yeah. just to know that Wow, you yeah. were you, you two were connected. <laughs> you didn't know yeah. you were connected. It must must be amazing though to, to be like this is my legacy. I mm. how does that feel? Uh, this is one. This was going to be one of my questions. What is just that one thing that you know you did it right from you know start to finish and you are able to brag about it? Because I like to hear women brag, and I guess we don't do it enough. So I just want you to be like brag, brag, you know, <laughs> brag, brag for us. Basically. Well, first thing is definitely my kid. Yes. You have to meet her. She is amazing. The I'm, kid, right? The kid. Yeah. Yes. The Hashtag kid. The, the kid. kid. <laughs> Hashtag the kid. Yeah. Uh, and then another one would be, of course, place to grow. Yes. Like, I, it's so close to my heart. Mm. Um, setting up the Recyclers Project was yes. one. And then I did, the. I basically took that learnings and then I moved into Adidas Japan and mm. helped them set up their take back program. Very similar principle, even yes. working with the same stakeholders behind the scenes. Mm. So just being part of building awareness of sustainability as 
not a difficult thing for businesses to do. Like, just do it already. I've had so many arguments with elderly businessmen <laughs> on whether or not it's viable. And, you know, and I'm the passionate nonprofit person. So sometimes they're a bit like, okay, that's nice, Ange. Like, a lot of passion. We'll give you props for that. But, you know, the business, the numbers don't. But just like three, four years later, and I'm like, aha. Yeah. <laughs> you see now. You see now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, wow. Yeah. That's um that's a beautiful like uh, the kid has so much just like my mom did this and that and that and that and that's the best I think legacy ever for a child especially for a young girl in this in today's world so um, props congrats hats off you know <laughs> all of it yeah that yeah. one was interesting because I didn't I never really thought about role models growing oh, up yeah and in a way I guess maybe it was growing up in Japan kind of feeling disconnected as mm-hmm. I mentioned like meeting my grandmother for the first time was like a moment for yeah. me. And I often felt a bit resentful that I didn't have those like role models to look up to. And that's, yeah. I think, when you know I was pregnant, I realized, shit, that's going to be the main thing. If I do nothing else and I get that right, then I'm okay. I can die a happy person. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it makes you, a lot of times you think, oh, it's, it's you know, especially as a parent, like, what do I, what I say to them is important, but it's really about what you do, mm-hmm. right? So choosing to become a single parent or choosing, you know, to pursue social impact. Yeah. I hope, you know, these will allow her to think she can make changes. She can do whatever she wants. And, you know, I was talking about how coming out of homeschooling, I felt insecure. Mm. So I don't think we all, we any of us escape childhood without some scars oh. and some trauma, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's, that's something I think we should talk about more openly as well mm-hmm. in the world. Um, but then how do you face those things and how do you reframe them so that they empower your life rather than disempower you or hold you back? Mm-hmm. And that's um, something I've definitely had to look at, rephrase. And actually, it's ongoing because yeah. especially with the education, more recently, I've started to think like, yeah, you know, let me let me actually think about what I did and follow those steps. Yeah. And then maybe there is a, a pattern or a, a something in there that someone else can learn from. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And. Mm-hmm. You know, you said you didn't really think about role models, but you mentioned earlier that there were a lot of women that uh, influenced you. Yeah. So, who, like, who are these women? Anne of Green Gables. Anne of Green Gables. Okay. <laughs> she was like adventurous, okay. gutsy. You know, she was super emotional. Like, I really related to that. <laughs> and, then, um, and she was going to do her own thing, right? In a world where women were just wives Mm -hmm. and mothers, she was going to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. She was an orphan. Like, she was the misfit. I think I related to that. Yeah. I always felt a bit, like, odd. And then um, the other one that really influenced me was uh, Little House on the Prairie. Oh, oh that's my favorite I book. I loved it oh also. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> really? Um, I read it in French, but it was my favorite wow. title to say out loud. I just loved everything about it. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. She was a fantastic writer. Yes. And again, right, she was a writer, mm-hmm. became a teacher in a world where most women were just mothers. Exactly. And, and then also it connected me to what I felt was like my history, like the old West and stuff. And I felt like, okay, there's my connection to America. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved American history. Mm-hmm. And then um, Florence Nightingale was another one who kind of, I was like, crazy lady. Mm-hmm. Like, That's pretty badass. You're just doing, you know, going against people's opinions is hard. And I didn't have that character growing up. Mm-hmm. I was very much like the follower. And I struggled. Like, I remember as a teenager going like, I don't even know what 
color shirt I like best. <laughs> I need to ask my oh. sister what to wear. I don't, I have no fashion sense. And no. I, I remember deeply feeling like, I don't know. Mm. There's so many things I don't know. Yes. How do I make these choices? <laughs> um, yeah. But in the podcast, you did mention about like how your mom got a motorbike at 60 yeah. and how she's just an example, really, of whatever she wants to do, she will do it. Do you, how do you know which part of which woman you've taken in like oh, I don't think I know oh. <laughs> <laughs> I try to identify that sometimes because mm. it's so many of them but I guess like, the question is I don't the answer is I don't know but just also fine. thank you for bringing that up because yes. I will ponder that now okay. and maybe I actually will start <laughs> yes. to you know see the clues yeah um. because there's moments when you're just like oh I'm just like my mom or I'm just like you know reflecting uh, what I hear that other woman did. And it's like, am I, is it me or am I just emulating, mm. you know, that person? But either way, it's fine because you're doing something nice. So I like to think about that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's a really good thing mm. to think about. Yeah. So uh, before we wrap up, uh, what's what's new with uh, A Place to Grow? Uh, what you got coming up or what, what do you want to highlight? So Place doing. to Grow is, we're, well, we pivoted online now. So the awesome thing is that we now want to open up volunteering opportunities to like the global community because we've had so many international people come to Tohoku and volunteer and then they go back yeah. home. And we're working on setting up like an online platform where you can connect with children. Um, and it's really based on the concept of being a role model. So mm. you tell your story. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a fancy, famous, rich person, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. You just tell your story as who are you and what you like. Mm-hmm. And that will hopefully inspire a child to to think exactly. Just because I come from here, just because this was my life story, mm. doesn't mean I can't choose whatever I want. Um, and so that's going to be coming out um, later this year. And then Santa's Soul Train. Yes. Just yes. around the corner. So I would love for people to get involved in Santa Soul Train. What's that? Well, I was going to say. So <clears throat> first year of working with survivors in Tohoku, you know, we're really depressed. So many people have died, mm-hmm. lost loved ones, like families just torn apart. And we were getting kind of them back into shelters. But we wanted to do something just fun. So our buddies up at the Misawa Air Base, actually, Navy Base, and some of our volunteers from Tokyo, we decided to put on a traditional Western Christmas party with a choir and a band and turkey and gravy. And we brought like 150 people together. And it was amazing. The old, like the grandfathers were Japanese grandfathers (laughs) standing up and dancing and young British, like 20-year-old volunteers dancing with 80-year-old grandmothers. And it was just the most heartwarming thing ever. And I thought it would be a one-off. But the, a year later, they came to us and we were like, we want to do this again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it started, it evolved then from like an actual event to a series of events and also connected to schools where we send cards and stockings to every child mm-hmm. in Minami Sandiku. And inside there is a card from another child somewhere else in the world. Nice. So it's kind of like a surprise Santa rather yeah. than the secret Santa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we want to really uh, focus on developing that connection piece, make it more meaningful. We're engaging more schools. We're going to be potentially working with some care homes in Japan. And, you know, going back to talking about like victim and surviving and everything, yeah. I think this is really relevant is that, you know, you know that you are empowered when you can reach out and help someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you... I think it's actually very therapeutic to yes, actually do this. It absolutely. really makes you feel strong. Mm-hmm. And I feel that best way I can support some of these children is by making them see that you're now this strong. Look what this situation, you know, mm-hmm. made you. Mm-hmm. But here's an opportunity for you to make somebody else feel 
connected. Mm -hmm. Somebody else feel like they're not alone. And that process is what I'm most excited about, like providing. So we just provide that platform. We do all the coordinating and the logistics. And then the local people, you know, make the cards, ship the cards. And we work with international schools here. So a lot of students from international communities. Is it like a bilingual activity thing? Yeah, so it's like you can write in English or Japanese. I mean, a couple, one year we supported the earthquake survivors in Nepal. And so we taught the kids how to write, um, you know, happy holidays in Nepalese. Yeah. So it becomes, I mean, it could be language, it could be art class, like any which way you want it. Um, Just sharing, you know, a bit of joy. Awesome. Yes. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So you can find us at Place to Grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> do, 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 yeah. Um. yeah. Place to Grow. I think it's hyphen org, um, hyphen npo.org. Okay. I was not going to end this without you doing your plug, so <laughs> don't worry about that. Like, do you have any other oh, questions? Oh, I have so many more oh, questions, yeah, but go no. Ahead, go ahead. Um, I do. I think this one I really wanted to ask it is like, what's your best advice for like a young woman? For not, I, the question said initially corporate Japan, but I think I'm realizing that NPO um, uh, you know, environment isn't that different in terms of career-wise. The job is still the same. It's just the mm-hmm. impact or the uh, primary target that's different, but the job is still the same. So what would be your best best advice to a young woman, especially a foreigner in Japan, mm. in progressing in that world? Great like, question. Yeah. So they want to get more involved in that space. Yes. <clears throat> get more involved. Get also like advanced, you know, yeah. um, get more responsibility. So I think, well, there's some basics, right, of like mm-hmm. figuring out like what it is that drives you. Yes. And what's your shit sandwich? Like, what are you going to put <laughs> up with in order to get that? Yeah. That really is important to know. And then as we already kind of discussed your tribe, like yes. make sure you got you to you have your team. Um, and then you want to put yourself out there, I think, yes. to opportunities. When you're asked to give a speech, mm-hmm. to learn a new something, just say yes. Oh. And then figure it out later. Wonderful. Yeah. Just yes. jump in. Just, just, just in. do it. No what if like and bad. Just Yeah, don't. Yeah. So this is where I think we want to draw on our more Western culture to, mm. to be okay with tekito. Okay. Just it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you might ruffle some of the the more you know conservative feathers around you. Yes. But if you can look at failing as learning rather than, you know, a mistake and yes. let's not do that again but really fail forward as I always say and you could do it elegantly yeah you know? <laughs> it's okay yes um, then you're going to have a really powerful learning mm-hmm. feedback um, and I think that will really help escalate you to yes. wherever you want to go nice very nice thank you yeah Yeah. alright before we wrap it up I don't want you to forget about your book so oh yes please uh, it's on Amazon you can type in um, place to grow eight principles that will make you an effective leader in social impact. Uh, basically, it's like all these 10 years boiled down into eight key principles that I think will impact your mindset. Mm. Um, and so, for example, like how to have a self-centered life, like how to start with you, how to choose things for yourself yeah. rather than react. Uh, one of my favorites is don't let it get to you because mm-hmm. that's an ongoing struggle of how to not let people's criticisms yes you know, get you down uh, yeah. and also how to maintain motivation, for example. Um, so yeah, there's eight principles there. Please yeah. check it out. It's designed to be a bit interactive. So I've left like 10 blanks pages in yeah. the back so you can start tracking like your own ideas. Yes. Uh, I think it's really important to track our progress. Uh, it's also fun and it really helps you learn more about who you are. Um, I'm not like done, but I can already give a review. Like I've been reading it since Friday night and 
my my favorite is the the devil is in the details because mm. I'm not naturally a detail oriented person, and the story in how you change your perspective about what you needed to do in that part it's like, oh, oh my gosh, ha, like this mm. is and this is I uh, I think people have a stigma now nowadays against like um, nonfiction books because it's so much going like on and on and on about the things. This is one like straight to the point, simple, like you get mm. it, and it does the impact on the spot you take it to like that's why I've been slow because I've been taking the time to reflect on every principle and uh, go and read it basically like uh, this is my first time meeting her <laughs> but even if I didn't meet her go and read the book if you're like looking to make any impact at all just go and read the book basically yeah I loving agree. it go so far it. yes that, I'm so happy to hear that Absolutely. because like when I went to write it mm-hmm. that's exactly what I had hoped <laughs> it <Yeah>. would do <laughs> yes it's like so, this is what you need to do you. get over thank yourself you so and much. do it I'm getting involved. Simple. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> awesome. It's okay. Yeah. You can cry. Yeah. <laughs> can cry here. No crying. Yeah. All right. So thank you, ladies. Yes. For uh joining me. Thank uh, you. Yes, thank yeah. you so much. This has been amazing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh yeah, thank you once again. Tokyo Speaks. Uh we are on all podcast streaming platforms. Uh what else? We have a new website, TokyoSpeaks.com. Check it out. You can listen to episodes there. I actually started uh, working on a community resource page. Mm. So basically what that is, is all the guests who've been on the show. Right. Um, if you offer a service to the community, I've added your links on there, your business, mm. your books. I'm, I'll add your book you. on there. So yeah. yeah, check out the community resource page. Once again, thank you. And that's about it. See you next episode. Thank you.